Hallelujah. God is better than that, but that's all right. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. It's good to be in the house of God this morning. Uh, turn with me, if you will, to Psalms chapter 37. Psalms chapter 37. We're going to kind of turn the corner a little bit in this series. Uh, we have taken some time, and I told you we would take time. Uh, solving God's will and knowing God's will, uh, for most people, it's, it's not an easy thing. And, and we want to know God's will. We want to discover God's will. We don't want to be outside of God's will. We want to marry the right person. We want to go to the right school. We want to have the right amount of kids. We want to have the right job. We want to be in God's purpose and God's assignment for our life for that time period. And as soon as it's time to move on to the next thing, we want to move on to the next thing. But we don't want to move on too fast. We want to stay in where we're at for the right amount of time. This is everybody's life. This is every life of a believer. We love God. We want to serve him. We know that we're supposed to do his will. We know we're supposed to live for him, but we just don't know how. What are the details? What are the intricate details? And so we are spending some time in discovering God's will for our lives. And remember, the first thing we said is that God's will is not about knowing something. It's about knowing someone. And in trying to solve the equation to understand God's will, uh, most people have removed the most important part of the formula, and it's God himself. And so seeking God's will is not about gaining information. Seeking God's will is getting to know a person. And if we would get to know the person, we would get to know what the person wants us to do. It's the first thing we saw. The second thing we saw was that God is more concerned with how you do something than what you do. God is more concerned in Colossians 3.23, we saw that whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. Whatever you do. So be familiar with his ways, and then you'll understand his will. And we are so caught up with being in the right job or marrying the right, right person that we forget that we need to operate on that job properly, and we need to operate as a spouse, as a husband or wife properly, and God is more concerned with how you raise your kids than how many kids you have. God is more concerned with how you operate as an employer or as an employee and as a coworker than he is with which particular job. Now, I'm not going to say that God is not concerned with which job you take and which one you're at because you're there to be an influence. And so you need to be in the right place at the right time. But regardless of which job God tells you to take, you better know how to operate on the job. And so we've got to know how to be familiar with God's ways because when we get into God's ways, he will lead us to his will. The next thing that we saw last week was that living in God's will has to be a sacrifice of our will. Jesus said himself, you cannot serve two masters. And many people want to know God's will, but they want to do it their way. And they're hoping that God's will is their will. But God's will has to require full sacrifice of your will. We saw Romans chapter 12, verse 1, said that we are to be a living sacrifice. A sacrifice is not convenient. A sacrifice means you're laying down something that you would rather keep. That's why it's a sacrifice. It's not a sacrifice if it's something you've been wanting to give up. Well, I, I, don't, I don't even want that anyway, so you, you can have it. There's no sacrifice involved. But when it's something that you would rather hang on to, then it becomes a sacrifice. And that verse says we're to be a living sacrifice. That means our life should be a perpetual movement, day in and day out, of putting down something that we would rather hold on to. And you'll find in your life that as you begin to discover God's will, the greatest enemy and the greatest hindrance to God's will is your will. That's the thing that's standing in the way. So the goal then is to allow God's will to become our will. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus had a will. Jesus could have done whatever he wanted to. Oh, well, he was the son of God. He had to go to the cross. No, he didn't because he made the statement, I do nothing of my own will, which states he had a will. But 
I do the will of my Father. That's why I was sent. And we know the greatest struggle and the greatest thing, the, the greatest time of struggle that Jesus ever had in his ministry was in the garden right before going to the cross. And he said, not my will, but your will. He allowed his will to be sacrificed, and he allowed God's will, his Father's will, to become his will. It does you no good to to discover God's will for your life if it never becomes your will for your life. And so we've got to be able to understand these different principles because getting most people never prepare themselves to know God's will. But if we can properly prepare ourselves to know God's will, I believe that it will become easier for him to reveal his will. And this week, I want to talk about the channels. How does God's will make his, how does God make his will known to us? What are the different channels? So we're going to talk about changing the channel this morning. In Psalms chapter 37, this is just kind of a precursor to where we're going. Psalms 37 verse 23 says, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Read it again. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. The first thing you have to understand about God's will is he does not give you the big picture all at one time. Anybody found that out in your life? Anybody here just walking out the stages and the steps? Anybody? With me, am I the only one? God has revealed his will in, about my life, for my life, in a process. And here's why. Every stage contains within it, contains within it, the provision and the resource necessary to make it to the next stage. You can put it this way, that every step of the process is meant to build you up to take the next step. This is how God operates. I'm going to tell you right now, if God revealed to you the whole plan for your life, if he revealed to you the end, you would never take the first step. I I know this to be true in my own life, and we're going to take a look at a man in the Bible today that most of us, I I, I think 100% of us in this room, if, if God laid out that plan for our lives, we'd say, no thanks, that can't be God's will. Because here's the thing. Sometimes God steps forward in advancement. To us, they seem like a backwards move. It seems like something that's contrary to the overall picture. It seems contrary to, no, I don't know if that could be God's will for my life. But when you are obedient to just take the step, it says the steps are ordered, not the whole path. And it would scare you. If God showed you everything, anybody in a place today where the steps you took to get there today, had God shown you those steps, you wouldn't have taken the steps. Anybody. I mean, you know my story. You've heard me. Came out of Bible school knowing knowing that I was called to be a pastor. I knew that that was my calling. God showed me that when I was a young child. It was a burning passion inside me. Nothing else could fill that desire nothing else could fill that hole but the process to get to where i am today had i seen that the day i walked off of that stage with a diploma in my hand i would have quit because it involved children (laughs) it involved being in children's ministry and working with two-year-olds that throw stuff at you and tell you no and and, and, and when I walked off that stage at the ripe old age of 20, that was not in my, that was not in my plan. I, I, I knew if I got married, I don't know that I'll have kids. God will have to change my heart versus kids. I, I wanted to get married, and I was all right if I never had a child. And I have one today, and he's a great kid, and he's doing everything that I hated back then. And I love it. I love being a dad. It's great. But working in children's ministry, which then led me to become a children's pastor, which then equipped me with everything that I'm needing and doing today. And had I seen that beforehand, if God said, all right, here's the plan for your life. These are all the different steps. I said, that can't be God's will. 
It's not God's will for me to work. I'm telling you, it looks like a step backwards. It looks like something that's contrary to the end result. But God knows what is in each of those steps to develop you and equip you and build you up for the next. And so that's what we're going to take a look, to, look uh, take a look at today in the channels of God's will. You've got to understand that when he's moving in channels, that it is just to get you through a step. It's not to get you the whole picture. There's not going to be one person that walks up to you in your life and is going to spill out your entire life to you. It's not going to happen. And many of us think that we would love the channels that God used in the Bible, just come down, smoke out my room, come down in a big cloud and with angels, you know, blaring trumpets next to you and say, this is my will for you, saith the Lord. In a King James Version accent and everything. That's what we think we want. We want the dream. We want to be waking up in the middle of the night. We want to have some angel come to us. Well, I'm telling you right now, most of us, if we saw that, wouldn't be willing and wouldn't be ready, wouldn't be prepared to walk out the steps. Because you'll see in, in the book, of, in the Bible, every person that God came to and gave a vision to and called them to do something, there were still steps behind it. And there were always steps behind it that were contrary to the initial call. Talk to Moses. I mean, he's got a burning bush. If you had a burning bush, I would not be telling God no. And Moses did. Why? Because he realized there are steps behind this burning bush. We think, man, if I had a burning bush, if I was driving home right here and on the side of 84 there was a tree just on fire and then God started speaking to me out of it, man, I would do it. I'd get in my car and do whatever he told me to do. You think so? And then Moses gets to Egypt is in God's will, doing what God asked him to do. And Pharaoh says, nope, not going to do it. Wait a minute. You, what was that bush thing? You setting me up for something? Got told no ten times. Got told no so many times that the people he's supposed to be delivering get mad at him and want to kill him. Yeah, that's God's will. You don't want the big picture. Because if you saw that, you'd say, no thanks. I'm all right doing my will. Ain't no one trying to kill me in my will. Ain't no one after me in my will. God operates in steps. He's got a process. This thing isn't an overnight deal. And you getting to the end is determined and based upon how you operate in each step. Period. The steps are so crucial. So we want to take a look at these channels. I, was, I have three channels that I want to reveal to you. And in studying for this throughout the week, I realize there's no way I can do all three in one day. I'm going to do two today. I can squeeze in two. Hopefully, we'll see. And then next three, we'll get to the biggest step, or next week, we'll get to the biggest step. Step number three, channel number three, is the most crucial channel. So you do not want to miss next week. You do not want to miss the last channel. Because I'll just go ahead and tell you, these two channels that I'm going to give you today will mean nothing to you without the last one. I'll just go ahead and lay that out there so... You need to be here. Amen? Channel number one. How does God reveal his will to us? The first one I want to identify today is the influence of others. The influence of others. God will use strategic relationships in your life to reveal his will to you. Never underestimate. Never underestimate a godly relationship or godly encounter. Never underestimate how God will use someone next to you. Look, see, so many of us are looking for the smoke and the burning bush and, and the, the dreams and the visions that we're missing the people that are right around us. God has used my wife 
to reveal his will to me. God has, re, God has used pastors. God has used my parents. God has used key godly relationships. The key is godly. Godly relationships. You don't want someone trying to direct your life that isn't even hearing from God. And I've got a big disclaimer on this one because we could get way outside the box with the influence of others. But I'm going to first show you the positive and then I'll reveal to you the negative. But God will use people in your life strategically at certain times in your life to get you to the next step and to get you in a certain situation. God will use people. Here's some verses. Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 1. A wise man will hear and increase learning and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 14. Where there is no counsel, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Read that in the New Living Translation. Without wise leadership, a nation falls. There is safety in having many advisors. God wants, wants you to have people placed around your life that can properly direct you and speak to you. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 22. Without counsel, plans go awry. But in the multitude of counselors, they are established. Notice that even God's plans that he has for you can go haywire if you don't get around the right people to help direct you and guide you. So God will use relationships in your life, will use other people. And many people are missing out on God speaking to them because they're rejecting someone else speaking to them. We see this happen in 1 Samuel chapter 15. Where King Saul is told by a prophet. Now, I mean, you're thinking, dude, you're a king. You don't need anyone telling you. If anyone should be able to hear from God, it's the king. He's been appointed by God. But in 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 1, it says, Samuel also said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you to, uh, as king over his people, over Israel. Now, therefore, heed the voice of the words of the who? The Lord. Not of Samuel. The words of the Lord. God sent Samuel, a prophet, to the king, Saul, to tell him what to do in this next battle. What's he doing? He's using a person. There's plenty of times where God came down and spoke to people face to face. Right there in their midst. Through the clouds. I mean, he came down and told Noah, build an ark. Came down and told uh, Abraham, go here. Leave your father, leave your nation, leave your people, and go to a place that I will, I will tell you. He came down in a burning bush as we just saw with Moses. But now... He's speaking to King Saul through another person. Do not try to qualify the people that God places in your life. We have someone try to come and, you know, they're being led by the Holy Spirit. And it's got to bear witness with you. That's one of the disclaimers. I mean, just because a prophet comes and prophesies over you. If I had a prophet come to me and say, God is calling you to be a missionary in Russia. No, he ain't. Call me here. doesn't bear witness with my spirit. That's not something that's been identified. It's got to, you don't just move off of what someone else tells you. But God will use individuals in your life to help guide you and direct you. And you don't, it's not up to you to qualify them. Well, how long have you been in ministry? How many people have you told God's will to them and it's worked out what's your success rate how long have i known you now we don't have to qualify when god places people in our lives it's as if he's speaking to us in this moment king saul is having a word from god spoken through a prophet named samuel and it's as if God came down himself and said, go 
and destroy the Amalekites. Well, we go down to verse 18. And Samuel speaks to Saul. Now the Lord sent you on a mission. The Lord sent you. I didn't. I came and I gave you the word of the Lord. Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the, spit, on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? Samuel brings up, you, since you disobeyed the word that I gave you, you have disobeyed God himself. And so we have to be careful. Because when you reject someone that God has strategically placed in your life, you are rejecting God. Now here's the disclaimer. God can strategically use people in your life to get you in his will. But the devil can strategically use people in your life to get you out of his will. And that's why the third step is so important that we'll look at next week. So you have to come back. The enemy will use just as important as it is to use judgment in keeping good counsel. It's just as important to avoid the wrong counsel. Facebook is not God's means of counsel. Just go ahead and throw it out there. You've heard me say it many times. Confusion is the result of lending your ear to too many voices. And you can ask 10 different people how to do something, and you'll get 10 different answers. But you can ask God, who knows everything, and get the right one. And it's the only one that matters. So we have to be careful in the influence of others, discerning whether it's good or whether it's bad. We have to be careful there. The enemy will place people around you that don't care about your future, don't care about the plans God has for you, doesn't care about his will and doesn't care about his purpose for your life, doesn't care about any of that. The devil will get those people around you to get you off course. Those people aren't going to be able to tell you how to raise your kids properly. Those, those people aren't going to be able to tell you which job to take. They're going to be moved. But if you can get around someone that hears the voice of God. I remember we had a family in this church when we just first got here. We weren't here six months. And a family that was in this church. And they came to us one night and they... And they uh, had something come up in their life, and another job had come available somewhere else. And as a as a as a pastor, you're thinking, "No, that's not God's will. You need to be here. You need to be here and serve with us." But thank God, I heard the voice of God. They said, "Yeah, this this job came available in, in this other state, and you know we we don't know if we're supposed to go. You know, I, I I think we're supposed to just stay here with you. That's that's why we're here." And I said, why are you here? I don't know why I asked that question. This is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has never failed me. He's never failed me. I get into, people will say, hey, we want to meet with you about this. And I'll be driving to the meeting, and I'll be thinking, I got nothing. <laughs> I got nothing for you. And then we'll get in there, and we'll start talking. And the Holy Spirit will just give me stuff. Every time. And so the Holy Spirit said, ask him why he's here. So I said, why are you here? Why are you in Valdosta? And he made this statement. He said, the husband, he said, well, you know, this is a new church, and, and you're growing the church, and there's just no one else that can do what we're doing. And right then I knew, yep, wrong motive. 
I said, you don't worry about that. That's the Holy Spirit's job. And if he calls you somewhere else, he's already got someone to take your place. And that person can't get here until you go. But God's calling you somewhere else. They already had a church they were going to hook up with. They already had positions where they were going to serve. They already knew what church they were going to go to. Simple. Well, I'm going to pray about it. Well, let's think about it. <laughs> Sometimes we get you know, real spiritual about it. Let's just think about the situation. Let's think about what God, let's just look at the natural on the outside. And Sometimes that's easy enough to discern. But I'm glad they came to us. Why? Because they sought godly counsel. Because they didn't want to be out of God's will. I don't want to leave if it's not time to leave. But I don't want to be here if I'm supposed to be somewhere else. But he sought godly counsel. I was able to direct him and guide him and said, look, you don't have to be concerned with that. If you're only here because no one else can do what you do, no one else can run the sound like you do, and no one else can vacuum the carpets like you do, and no one else can greet like you do, and no, God's got those people. You need to be in your fit. And God does have an assignment when it comes to church. It says we're in the body as it pleases him. Not in the body where they have good music. Not in the body where the preacher is funny. Not in the body where they don't go longer than an hour. We're in the body as it pleases him. And he had an assignment somewhere else. And to this day, they're fulfilling that assignment and serving. Thank God. God is good. He will put people around you to help guide you and direct you. He will put people in your path that will lead you and speak to you. So we need to be open to that, but then also be cautious because the enemy wants you around people. If you find people that are starting to draw you away from God's will for your life, and here's, the, here's a great identifier just to go ahead and throw this out there. If it causes you to not operate in God's ways, it's definitely not his will. If they are leading and guiding you into something that gets you out of his ways, because his ways always supersede his will. You need to know how God wants you to do something before he tells you what to do. Because what a danger it would be to be in God's will doing it your way. But we need to be in God's will and choose to do it his way. Amen? So we've got to look for channel number one, God's will being revealed to us by the people that he places around us. The second channel I want to identify today, and this is where we'll spend some time, is situations and circumstances. God will reveal his way to us. He will identify his will to us through our current situations and circumstances. And again, God reveals his will in steps. So by the influence of others, it's going to be for that step where you're at today. It's not going to be someone giving you a whole big picture. Most prophetic messages that I have received in my life and that I've even seen other people receive in their life have been for what's the next step, not this is what you're going to be doing 20 years from now. It's, this is where you need to go. Thus saith the Lord, this is the next step. I don't, I don't know, the, the, the furthest out that I've ever seen God go in a prophetic message was three years. Now, obviously, he's gone further. This goes to the millennium, okay? But for someone's specific assignment. Because God is interested in getting you step by step. And so in this next one, situations and circumstances, this is key because many times when we 
are in a position and we're wondering if it's time to transition out of that, we're more concerned with how to get into the next level than with how to leave the one that we're in now. And it's just as important how you leave your current situation as it is how you enter the next one. Because how you leave this one determines how you enter the next one. And God has these situations and circumstances, whether good or bad. We know that God doesn't set up bad. Jesus came to give life and life more abundantly. The devil has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Well, God took my job. No, he didn't take your job. He's not capable of taking your job. But he can use that opportunity to get you into the next step. Because God can turn anything that's bad into good. He's great at that. But he's not very good at turning good into bad. And so God will take these situations and these circumstances in our life and he will reveal his will to us through the process. And so the greatest example that I saw in the word for this was a man named Joseph. You know anything about Joseph's life? Uh, he's bar none, man. One of the greatest men spoken of in the Bible. At a young age, 17 years old, has dreams given to him by God. Yeah, that's, that's what we all want. I want the dream that's got, and I want to be able to interpret the dream. I, I don't want, you know, the dream and then have to go to... I want the whole thing. Give me the whole shebang here. Just give me the dream, tell me what it is, and show me what I'm going to do. So God gives him a dream. Two dreams, specifically, that he mentions. Tells his brother, tells, tells his brothers, and, and tells his, even his father. I saw a dream where all of you were bowing down and worshiping me. Yeah, we love that dream. I'm the youngest one, and you're working, you're working for me. Even his dad, and his dad loved him more than all the other ones. Don't take any parenting tips from old Jacob here. <laughs> but he loved uh, Joseph more than the other brothers. Even his dad said, you're out of your mind. No. See, God's will for your life is not up for a vote. It's not a popularity contest. God doesn't need anybody around you to agree with what he's called you to do. Just go ahead and... No, I don't think you should marry that person. Well, I didn't ask your opinion. And God didn't ask your opinion either. This is the person that he's laid out for me. I don't know that you should take that job. Well... God's not taking a, a census here. He's not trying to see who's on his side and who's not. If, if you get four people to agree with you, then it's, it's my will. Never says that. God will stand all by himself and say, this is what I want you to do. And Noah stood all by himself. Moses eventually stood all by himself. Following God's will will not get you in a group of people that always agree with what you're supposed to do. Thank God we had godly people in our lives when God called us here to Valdosta a year and a half ago. But there were people around us that didn't want us to leave. Moved by emotions. Became a Peter to Jesus. Lord, let it not be so. Don't take away my grandson. That's really what they're concerned with. They <laughs> don't care about us. Just, you can leave him here. Y'all can go, right? Grandparents can attest to that, I know. Don't take the grandkids. But when God calls, he calls. And someone that's truly led by the Spirit and truly is hearing the voice of God will understand that and see that and say, that's God's will for your life. But Joseph, having these dreams... Uh, doesn't get a whole lot of agreement from his family. Your family sometimes will be the toughest ones to get. 
But especially in this situation, the 17-year-old boy is telling his older brothers and his dad, you're going to be working for me one day. Didn't go over real well. Well, we know that Joseph, after having these dreams, goes out to check on his brothers. His dad sends them out there. And they decide, you know, we're going to get rid of them. We're tired of them. We'll see if God's will really comes to pass. Let's kill them. But Reuben says, no. The oldest one says, no, we're not going to kill him. But let's, save, let's, let's sell him into slavery. And so in Genesis chapter 39, it's where we pick up. Joseph has just been sold into slavery. And now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an, uh, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. Now watch this in verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. The Bible says that Joseph was successful in slavery. And I'll prove to you that Joseph is thinking, my life's over. I'll show it to you. He says it. This is, this is not the plan that God has for my life. Again, if God had showed Joseph the whole step, the whole path, he would have never taken the first step. Yeah, we love the dreams where everyone's bowing down to us. We don't like the part where how we get there. But this verse says that Joseph, the Lord was with him, and he was successful. When you're in God's will, you're successful regardless of what you are doing. Because true success is obedience. Obeying the voice of God, it, I, I, I don't care what the world's standard looks like. You're successful if you're obeying the voice of God. And it would do you better to be successful in God's eyes than be successful in man's eyes. You want to be successful in God's eyes. You want to be where he has called you, even if it's not the most appealing, the most attractive. And Joseph here has just been sold by his own family. Somebody paid money for him to work for him, but the Lord was with him, and the Lord made him successful. Now look at verse 3. And his master saw that the Lord was with him. Look, wherever you are, people need to know God is with you. I don't care what job you're at. I don't care how hard it is. I don't care what your marriage looks like. People need to know God is with you. His master saw that the Lord was with him. This is why he was successful. The Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight, served him. God will give you favor when you're in his will. God's favor follows his will. If you get in his assignment, you'll find favor. Everybody on the job may hate your guts, but you'll climb to the top because you'll have favor. You may not have the schooling in the background to do that type of, of job. You may not be of the right pedigree, but God will get you to the top when you seek his will and choose to be in his will. Then he made him overseer of his house, and all that he had he put under his authority. Notice that Joseph is climbing to the top even when he seems like he's on the bottom. So it was from the time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. Ah, this is good. This is good stuff. This is not a fairy tale. This is the real deal. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. 
Sometimes we're so concerned about us being in God's will that we forget that we, we have an influence on other people. Maybe you're in that crummy job to change it. Maybe you work for that crazy boss so they can see Jesus inside of you. Yeah, I got all kinds of smiles on that one. Anybody work for some crazy bosses? Don't raise your hand. Get them saved and get them in church. Get them to Jesus. We're so concerned about us that we forget we're a light where we're at. You're not anointed. There's not an anointing on your life to work at the perfect job. There's an anointing on your life to deal with junk. Let me just go ahead and tell you. So quit praying that God will get you out of the job and start operating in it like he would want you to. Get concerned with his ways, and then you'll be in his will. And then when the time comes, the time is up there, he'll lead you to the next place. I'm preaching now. Quit praying for a new wife and a new husband and start operating as the husband and the wife that you ought to be and watch what God will do. Oh, he'll get me a new wife? I didn't say that. He can change the one that you married. You married that person for a reason. All right. We've got to realize and understand the impact that we have on others. And when we're in the situations and the circumstances, it's not just about us. We're there to change the environment. Now look at Genesis 39, verse 9. Go down a little further. We know what happens. Joseph is approached by Potiphar's wife. He's been given access to everything in the house, everything in the field, except the wife. She comes on and, and says, just come be with me, come lie with me. And obviously, uh, Joseph, he's at the, the bottom. I mean, no matter how high you are at the bottom, you're still on the bottom. You're still thinking, wait, I had a dream where people were bowing down to me. And we're not there yet. And many people get in these situations and they begin to take advantage of certain situations that come across to them. But look what he says in verse 9. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Let me tell you something. No matter where you're at, no matter how bad it may be, your number one priority needs to be I'm going to serve God and live for him. Joseph is in a position where he can question God's will and is questioning God's will. But he stood on this one position. I will seek his ways. You are never obligated to walk away from God's ways, regardless if you know God's will or not. And Joseph, even when he's in the bottom, is still in a position that I'm going to obey my king, my father. I would be sinning against God. Had nothing to do with Potiphar. Had nothing to do with, with being in charge. Had nothing to do with any of that. I will not sin against my God. Even in situations when you question God's will, always seek his ways. Genesis 39, verse 23, the keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. Joseph was thrown into prison because he was lied against. I mean, if you were wondering where God was in this whole picture up until this point, now you're really there. Now you're, you got to be kidding me. I mean, I could kind of see a glimpse of light at the end of the tunnel, but now I'm in prison? 
the man that I was working for has judged me incorrectly and has thrown me in prison. I didn't even do anything. That's what I get for serving God. That's what I get for walking in his ways. Now he's in prison. But let's read this verse again. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority. He's at the bottom but has gotten to the top once again. It's amazing. It's amazing because the Lord was with him. Watch this. And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. We've heard that before. Whatever. Whatever. Whatever you do, God can make you excel at it. If Joseph can excel in a prison, after being sold into slavery, then you can excel at that job that may seem like a prison. You can excel in that marriage that seems like a prison. You can can excel as a parent when it seems like a prison. I don't know how to control these kids. I don't know how to raise them. I don't know how to teach them. I don't know how to do this anymore. God can make you excel at whatever you do. If you choose to give him glory at whatever you do. God doesn't just want you. You need to ask yourself, if I knew God's will today, if I knew God's ultimate plan, how would I operate? How would I act? How would I manage my life? How would I manage my resources? That's how you need to operate every day. Joseph didn't wait till he got into the palace to start operating with character and integrity. He did it when no one was looking. He did it when it seemed like there was no way out. And God can use whatever you do to be his will. Look, it becomes God's will when you do it his way. It becomes God's will when you do it his way. I mean, you read this story and you're thinking, I have no excuse at all. Joseph Joseph never took an opportunity to seek his own will. Never took an opportunity to do what he wanted to do. Genesis 40, verse 15 He makes this statement. He's in prison and these two men are in there that work for Pharaoh. And they both have dreams. Now, this is interesting. Just a little side note. They both have dreams. Now, Joseph had a dream that has not come to pass yet. Seems like God has abandoned him. Seems like God is taking steps in his life that are going the complete opposite direction of where the dream ended up. But yet he still has faith in interpreting someone's dream. That's interesting to me. If I'm Joseph at this point, I'm thinking, forget dreams. Apparently I'm not very good at interpreting dreams. I mean, come on, he interpreted a dream for his brothers, and he's going the other way. He's in prison now. He's not anywhere near being where the dream said he would be. Give up faith and, 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 and see, God has given us a dream. See, God will show you the end. He just doesn't show you how you're going to get there because it would scare your face off. It would. He showed Joseph the end, but he didn't show him how he's going to get there. So don't give up on the dream. Keep faith in the dream. And because because Joseph could usually say, man, don't talk to me about dreams. I had a dream once. Look where I'm at. I don't care about dreams. And if he didn't interpret those dreams, he never got those guys out. 
or got the one guy out. And he told the guy, when you get out, because he interpreted one of the dreams, and the dream was that you're going to get out in three days and you're going to be placed back in the position that you had with Pharaoh before. He said, when you get out, tell Pharaoh about me. And read it in Genesis 40, verse 15. Look at the statement that he makes. This is Joseph's outlook on life at this point. And it's better than any of us would ever think. But this is his outlook. For indeed, I was stolen away from the land of the Hebrews, and also I have done nothing here that they should put me into the dungeon. His outlook is, my life has been taken from me. My life has been stolen from me. I don't even belong here. He's in the middle of the step. Has anyone ever had that thought process? You're in the middle of the step. God has shown you the end result. He's shown you the, the, the picture at the end. And you're in a place that it's, there's no way this thing gets there. And your cry is, my life has been stolen from me. I don't even belong here. This is Joseph's outlook. But what this will identify later is that through these steps, every step, developed something in Joseph for the next. And ultimately, every step developed him for the day he would lead God's people. For the day that he would rule over Egypt. For the day that he would save his family. He's developing integrity. He's developing discipline. He's developing trust in God. He's developing character. Because if you can't operate that way in the small place, you'll never make it to the great place. So he's revealing, God is revealing his will to Joseph. And in Genesis 41, 38, we know three years later, three years later, This man finally decides to tell Pharaoh, Pharaoh's got a dream. He can't interpret it. None of his people can interpret it. It was the interpretation of the dream that he could have easily given up faith and hope in that got him right before Pharaoh, that ultimately got him in that position. So Pharaoh said, bring him to me. Joseph interprets the dream. Pharaoh is so thrilled that he places him in charge of the nation. He said, in this nation, only I am greater than you. And now we're in the position. And look what Pharaoh says here in Genesis 41, 38. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the Spirit of God. That's what you want people to say about you. We said this last week, or it might have been the week before, that when you do things your way, you get the credit. But when you do things God's way, He gets the credit. Everything about our life is to give glory to Him. He should get the glory. How did you get that job position? It's God. No way I could have done it. How'd you do that? How'd you do this? God. I'm just in his will. I'm just living in his will. I'm just following his ways. He's directing my steps. He's already established and ordered my life, and I'm just following his plan. He gets the glory. And people should be able to identify that the Spirit of God is on your life. You want the credit? Do it your way. But God gets the credit when you do it His way. In Genesis chapter 45, verse 5. Now, 
few years have gone by, a couple years have gone by, and the famine that Joseph had interpreted the dream about is now beginning to hit the land and it's hitting his family's land. And now, all the other nations surrounding Egypt are having to go to Egypt to get food because that was part of Joseph's plan through the interpretation of the dream. And so his family shows up in Egypt, but they don't recognize him. It's 13 years later, 15 years later. And we know about the test that Joseph went on. But look at Joseph's outlook in verse 5. He finally reveals himself to his brothers. He says, But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve your life. That's a different outlook than my life was stolen away. What's he doing? God had this all orchestrated. God had this all planned out. He's been revealing his will for my life the entire time. This was his plan to get me where I am today. God sent me before you to preserve life. That preserve life, that means to save a remnant. He saved an entire nation of people. Because thousands of years before Joseph, there was a man named Abraham. And God spoke to Abraham and said, you're going to be a father of many nations. And you're going to have a child even though you can't have a child. And from that child, I'm going to create a nation, and you're going to go into a land. Then you're going to be taken out of the land, but I'm going to bring that, na that nation out of there back into this land. That was his plan the whole time. If Joseph doesn't go to Egypt, his family dies in the famine. Egypt doesn't become the prosperous wealthy nation that they became under Pharaoh because there was no interpretation of a dream and no plan that there would be seven good years and then seven bad years and during the seven good years save up for the seven bad years there would have been no plan this wasn't just about Joseph's life his steady course with God's will and God's plan saved an entire people You understand if those, if Joseph's family dies off, there's no Israelites. There's no Moses. There's no David. There's no Jesus. You see how big this is. You see how big this is if he would have turned against God and says, I'm just going to work for Potiphar. That'll get me there. See, sometimes we try to get in the way, and we try to figure it out and say, oh, yeah, I see what you're doing, God. You got me before the officer of the army, Potiphar. So if I just do this, then that'll get me to Pharaoh. He didn't sleep with that woman. He didn't lose his faithfulness and trust in God's ability to help him interpret dreams in the prison. And by doing those small steps, developed his character to get to the big, epic moment where he's ruling over the nation and saves an entire people. God sent me before you to preserve life. For those two years the famine has been in the land, there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you and the earth to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Now go over to Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20. But as for you, he's talking to his brothers, you meant evil against me, 
but God meant it for good. In order to bring about as it is this day to save many people alive. In Romans chapter 8, verse 28, it says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. God will use life situations. He will use the circumstances that surround you. He'll use the people around you to help direct you and guide you in his will. There are some things that are easy to know. There are some things in the Bible makes it clear. You're married to, to one man, one woman. Simple. Easy. I don't, need to, I don't need to pray about it. I don't need to go and ask God if it's okay for those two guys to be married. I don't need to, I don't need to have to get on my hands and knees and fast and pray and, and seek God's will about it. It's simple. Am I, supposed to, am I supposed to give to my church? Easy. Tithe. Offering. 10%. As you give, more will be given to you. I don't have to go in a prayer closet. But what about the questions on, do I take that job? Do I marry this person? Do I give that person another chance? Do I need to be friends with this person? Do I need to start this business? And there's things around us that can help guide us and direct us in that. It may not be that clear in the Bible. God may not come down and say, now is the time to start that business. Go do it. But he'll place people around your life. You'll be in certain situations, in, in circumstances, that will guide you and direct you on which step to take. And know this, that every step develops you for the next step. Don't always be looking for transition. There are some people that they are looking for the way out as soon as they get in. And you would never allow the process to develop you and guide you and mold you. Because I don't want to get to the next stage if I'm not ready for the next stage. And if there's development and there's character and there's integrity and there's a life that needs to be built up in this stage, let it happen so when I get there, I can do what I need to do. And then when I get here, I can do what I need to do. Some of you may have a dream. Some of you may have that picture of the end result of this is what God is. This is the plan. Trust him in the steps. Don't just trust him in the big picture. Don't just trust him in the end result. And don't try to make up the plan for yourself. Stay in God's course. Stay in his direction. He's got a great will. He's got a great purpose. He's got a great plan. We know this. He wants you to know his will more than you want to know his will. And when we begin to identify these channels, these stages of how God operates and moves in our life, he will turn everything out for good. He can do that. He is good at that. He will turn things around for good for those who love him. Love him. Don't love God's will more than you love him. Love him and you'll get to know his will. Get to know him, and you'll get to know what he wants you to do. Get to know him, and you'll know how he wants you to do something, and that's when you'll know what to do. Amen? Father, we thank you for this word this morning. Father, we're so excited about the will and the purpose and the plan that you have for us. It's good. You have good intentions. You have good plans. And Father, we place our faith and our trust in you. We place our hope in you. We place our life in you. You have ordered our steps. You have established us. You have set us up for greatness. You have directed us. So Father, this morning, we rest in the fact that you have our life planned out. We rest in that. It's not a guessing game. There's no formula. There's no equation. You want us to know the plan that you have for us. But it requires our trust in every step. 
Father, allow us to go through every step and allow us to endure the development, the equipping, the enabling. You said that you have placed pastors, teachers, prophets, evangelists. You've placed the fivefold ministry around our lives to equip us, to teach us, to guide us. Father, help us rely and lean on those people, those strategic relationships you have placed in our lives. Help us identify the situations and the circumstances that we're in. Not always looking for a way out. Not always looking for a time of transition. Not just thinking about ourselves, but thinking about the people that are around us and the impact and the influence that we can make where we're at today. Because if we won't make influence on the two coworkers we have today, you're not going to give us a business with 50 employees. If we're not going to be faithful to serve and minister in in church where we're at today, we're not going to be faithful with having one of our own. But Father, you are taking us through steps. You're taking us through moments. You're taking us through circumstances. You're taking us through situations that will develop us, change us, and equip us for the great call and the great plan you have for our lives. We thank you for that this morning. We thank you for every person in this house this morning. I thank you for their faithfulness to this church, to serve in this church, to give of their resources, give of their time, give of their finances, give of their prayers. Father, I pray that you bless every individual, every home, every family that is here today. May they know that you are walking with them. May they know that you are with them day in and day out, not just on Sunday, but every day. We give you all the praise. We give you all the glory in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, we want to take up our tithe and offering at this time. Our ushers are available. If you need an offering envelope, if you need uh, uh, to need an offering envelope for cash or check, if you're writing out a-